1: This is the Daily Blast from the New Republic, produced and presented by the DSR Network. I'm your host, Greg Sargent. Welcome, everybody. You may have heard that Marjorie Taylor Greene and other right-wing personalities are fantasizing about civil war again. They're angry about a standoff in Texas between Republican Governor Greg Abbott and the feds over immigration enforcement. This civil war talk gets at something important. Three of the biggest stories in U.S. politics right now are converging on a single theme. On immigration, Trump has pulled the GOP so far to the right that the differences between the two parties are becoming unbridgeable. The three stories are that Texas standoff, an effort by House Republicans to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, and bipartisan Senate negotiations over a big border security package that are hitting their climax this week. There may be no one alive better suited to unraveling all this than Aaron Reichlin melnick Policy Director at the American Immigration Council. He consistently uses social media to inject facts and context into the discussion in a way that I think is unmatched. Welcome, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Aaron, let's start here. Can you summarize the situation in Texas for us?
2: Yeah, I mean, this really all started uh, after the Biden administration took office and migrant families began crossing into South Texas. Um, uh, starting really in spring of 2021, large numbers of migrants began crossing near the city of Eagle Pass, Texas, because the river there is less dangerous than some other locations. And uh, smugglers started taking people there uh, to cross. And they began crossing into a park that is directly underneath the international bridge between the United States and Mexico. In uh, summer of 2021, Greg Abbott first started sending troops and resources down there and installed what he called at the time a steel wall, which was a sort of small corridor of shipping containers to blocks of migrants. And then over the course of the next two years, began sending more and more troops there through Operation Lone Star, putting more and more barbed wire there. Uh, And then this really began escalating into uh, winter of last year when they started installing lines of razor wire and a buoy barrier in the river outside of Eagle Pass, all to stop migrants who were crossing the border and turning themselves into the border patrol. This came to a head in January uh, after the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals issued an injunction blocking the Biden administration from cutting some of the razor wire that had been in place there because migrants were on the other side of the wire and the border patrol felt that they had to go in and arrest them uh, or because the migrants were in medical distress and needed to be rescued. Then once the Fifth Circuit issued this order, effectively stopping the border patrol from interfering with the Texas razor wire, Abbott seized control of the park and then immediately began blocking the border patrol from entering at all. And that is really where the situation is today. The Supreme Court did lift that order uh, and so as of today, the Border Patrol could go in if they wanted to cut the wire. Uh, there is no legal order stopping them from doing so. But uh, there is very clearly a standoff between the two administrations right now over whether or not the Border Patrol can do that, with Abbott saying that he will not let the Border Patrol into the park at all.
1: Right. And so the Supreme Court, all it said was that, uh, that the Department of Homeland Security and the Border Police can cut the razor wire in order to do their jobs, Correct.
2: I mean, the more nuanced thing is that what they said is that, you know, they lifted a court order saying the Border Patrol couldn't cut the wire. Now, of course, that does somewhat imply that the Border Patrol can, but there isn't a court order out there saying Border Patrol can. And so- there's been a lot of talk about what Abbott's doing. Is that breaking the court order? I think the answer is probably no. Right. Because all the court order, all the Supreme Court did say, we're going to lift something saying they can't. It's not that they issued an order saying that the Border Patrol can. Right. And so that ac-
1: actually gets at one of the ludicrous things about the situation the Civil War talk. So uh, Abbott essentially put out a, a big statement saying, in some sense or other, that he would defy or challenge the Supreme Court ruling, and many Republican governors sided with Abbott, then the right-wing media jumped in, and then numerous MAGA personalities say that this portends civil war in the sense that the Supreme Court and the federal government are supposedly trying to do something to Texas that Texas doesn't want. For instance, Marjorie Taylor Greene said that if the feds, quote, weaken our border policy while the federal government is at war with Texas, that is truly possibly the start of civil war in this country.
2: Yeah, there's something kind of inherently silly about that because you know, we have to keep in mind here, we're talking about, I think at this point, around four to five miles of razor wire and now a couple of miles of shipping container wall. Um, the Texas-Mexico border is 900 miles. So we're talking about less than 1% of the border in which this is going on here. And most migrants now um, Migrant arrivals have actually dropped significantly in January following a crackdown on the Mexican side of the border. Um, but migrants are they're still crossing the border. They're just tending to go up one or two miles off to the east or to the west and crossing there. And even the migrants who are crossing and are being arrested by Texas on misdemeanor trespassing charges after they're prosecuted and finish serving any misdemeanor sentences. Which right. is Usually time served. They're still handed over to DHS. Right. And I I think I want to try to get at at what
1: exactly these right wing and mega figures are saying, right? In essence, the feds, if you read their court papers, which I've done, the feds argue that the razor wire is preventing them from accessing migrants, not just for humanitarian purposes, but because they are required to detain them by law. Now, why would Texas and the right oppose this? Because detaining migrants puts them into the system here, and a lot get released while awaiting court dates. This is what the right objects to, right? They want to prevent border cops from doing their jobs if it means processing migrants into the country in keeping with our laws.
2: I think that's right. Um, The Border Patrol has long taken the position, predating the Biden administration, that once somebody is on US soil, regardless of what side of any kind of border wall they're on, then the Border Patrol has to arrest them. And so here, when people are on the banks of the Rio Grande, we have to keep in mind that the international borderline is in the middle of the river. It's that way by international treaty. So by the time they've made their way onto dry land on the US side, on the Texas side of the river, they are on US soil. And the Border Patrol's position has been for many years that at that point, it is their obligation to go and arrest that person.
1: That's what they say the law says, right, Aaron?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's how they have long interpreted the law. And, and Texas essentially is saying, we don't really care if they're on the other side of the razor wire. They can just go back to Mexico. We don't feel we have any obligation to do anything with them. Just sort of shove them back across the razor wire and make them go back to Mexico. Right.
1: They want to and, prevent the border police from integrating the migrants into our legal system or introducing them into our legal system.
2: That's right. And and so you even saw this under the Trump administration that when migrants would walk up to a gate in the border wall in, say, the El Paso area, where the wall there is also built uh, on the other side of the Rio Grande, and the Border Patrol would just opened the gate and let them in. Um, in fact, The Washington Post at the time did a whole article about it saying, like, this one picture explains why building a wall won't help. And, and that's because you can't build the border wall in the middle of the Rio Grande. It's a river. Um, you, you can't build a, a permanent structure there without, you know, major, like essentially getting rid of the rivers, especially if it's a river that floods in times of hurricanes. And so that is, I think, the struggle here. You see Texas saying, just turn them back, turn them back, ignore them if they cross, sub them back across the razor right. wire. In fact, there's already been videos of, of people with riot shields subbing families back across the razor wire. Whereas the Border Patrol says, hey, we're a nation of laws. They're on U.S. soil. We have to go arrest them and and start a process.
1: I really want to underscore what you just said there. These migrants are on U.S. soil, and the law requires that they are given a hearing, which means introducing them into our legal system. And this is what Texas objects to.
2: Yeah, and there is... Also some sort of bizarre nature here where Texas is essentially saying we don't care what the actual borderline is. The borderline is wherever we put our radio right. wire. Right. And, right. Which yes. is very funny because of course borders are fundamentally non-existent things. They're imaginary lines that two countries have agreed upon but also simultaneously enormously powerful aspects of international law and sort of like in the public imagination crossing the border. So what Texas is saying is we don't really care if you cross the border. What's important to us is that you don't get further than you know, 15, 20 feet from the border and that we turn you away at that point without ever processing you under U.S. immigration law.
1: Right. And, and I, I think there's a through line to the Senate talks here. And bear with me on this one. Uh, those Senate talks, for those of you who haven't been following them, Uh, are converging on a bill that would raise the standard to apply for asylum, invest huge new resources in border security and in processing asylum seekers, including faster removal of those who don't qualify, and create a whole new presidential authority for removing migrants, very similar to what Donald Trump himself asked for as president. But House Republicans and MAGA are saying that's not good enough. They are demanding, among other things, a restatement of Trump's policy of forcing asylum seekers to wait for hearings in Mexico. The right holds this up as a kind of lost paradise of immigration policy. But isn't that absurd? I mean, what was the impact of Trump's remain in Mexico, Aaron?
2: Yeah, so the impact of it was mixed. Um, The reality is that it went into place the same time as multiple other different policies and actions. Um, It really, it began in early 2019 and was slowly ramped up throughout the summer. Um, And then it didn't even, for example, it didn't even come to South Texas until July of 2019. Um, And on June 4th, uh, uh, in early June, um, President Trump reached a deal with the Mexican president, you know, after threatening 25% tariffs that Mexico would let the United States expand the Remain in Mexico program and use it for more people. And at the same time, that also came with a huge crackdown on the Mexican side of the border. Mexican officials did sweeps. They arrested thousands of migrants. They deployed the Mexican National Guard at their northern border to stop migrants from actually crossing from Mexico into the United States. And so what happened is crossings began dropping almost immediately after that. So in early June, crossings were already plummeting across the border, even in places where the Remain in Mexico program hadn't actually started yet. So as a result, the, the record is mixed. It probably had some deterrent effect, um, but disentangling that from everything else that was going on in 2019 is really hard to do. Uh, and so the idea, though, that it was some kind of magic bullet that solved the border is ridiculous. Um, at its highest peak use, less than one in five people crossing the border were put into the program. Yeah, um, And by the time Biden took office, the program had been almost completely replaced by Title 42.
1: Uh, Title 42 is what uh, Trump put in place during the pandemic to uh, expel migrants on a public health rationale. Biden continued it for a while, and it's now no longer in effect. I want to just clarify something for our listeners. The reason right-wing Republicans and MAGA and Trump say remain in Mexico had a deterrent effect is as follows. Their argument is that the the real reason migrants seek asylum here is so that when they're uh, awaiting their hearings and are released into the country, they can disappear and kind of game the system. Now, it's obviously true that there are that there's a lot of abuse of the system out there. But the right wing argument doesn't really hold up because what they're saying is if you force migrants to wait in Mexico, they won't come at all because they won't have the opportunity to disappear into the interior but as you just laid out it doesn't actually necessarily have that much of a deterrent effect
2: yeah and 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 again you know border crossings did drop after the big announcement of the expansion of the program but the actual expansion of the program didn't happen until weeks later and so figuring out what was the announcement and mexico's crackdown and what was the program itself can be very tricky. Um, and the other thing, you know, just really quickly, your your thing, just just a fact check for some readers: the overwhelming majority of migrants do show up for their court hearings yes, because yes, they understand absolutely. that that is the path to legally remaining in the United States, potentially for years. And to be fair, even if they don't have an asylum claim, because obviously not every person has an asylum claim, but we know um, we looked at the data. My organization did a big study of this along with two researchers in California. Um, and, and what they found is, and what we published is that uh, over the last 11, over 11 year period, 83% of migrants appeared for every single court hearing. And when they had rep- were represented by a lawyer, 96% appears. Right. They want to come here legally, right? Yeah, exactly. Isn't that the People essence of this? want to go through a process. People want to go through a process. They they think this is the process. And in some ways, this is the process.
1: It's supposed uh, to be, Similarly,
2: yeah. with, with, with Remain in Mexico, it had, you know, the Trump administration said, this is how we're going to discourage, you know, fraudulent asylum claims. No, what actually happened is it just discouraged anybody. It was like a kangaroo court process where migrants literally had to run a gauntlet of kidnappers to get to their court hearings. We have multiple documented cases of people who, after they left their court hearing, were kidnapped within five minutes of being returned to Mexico.
1: I want to underscore what that means for for listeners here. Even if you were to say that Remain in Mexico did have a deterrent effect, which again is not conclusive, um, it's still not a justifiable policy because it subjected many people to hideous humanitarian horrors, right?
2: Yeah. And I think that's part of the reason why the Biden administration came out so much against it. Um, This is sort of a, a bit forgotten, but um, in 2020, when on the campaign trail, Jill Biden actually crossed over into Matamoros uh, across from Brownsville, uh, Texas. It, and that is where there were at the time, two to three thousand people in a squalid refugee camp of tents, Um, outdoors, right alongside the banks of the river. And she went and visited that camp. And these were all people that were put in the Remain in Mexico program. And she was very clearly horrified by what it was. And then during the debate, that trip, that aspect of forcing people to wait in horrible conditions in Mexico was the only time President Biden brought up asylum during the debates with Trump. So it's clear that her visit made a big difference to him because she got to see the impact of this policy firsthand. And I think that is one of the reasons why the Biden administration has been so reticent to go back to this program, even if they did think it works, because they saw the awful, awful things that the people put into the program. And, and
1: let's just make, make this really clear. Republicans think that's a success. But Aaron, I want to ask you another question. So at a basically at, at the most fundamental level, the criticism of of Biden from Republicans is that he's releasing too many migrants into the interior while they await hearings. They call that quote-unquote catch and release. Can you tell us how many migrants the Trump administration released into the interior of the country while Trump was president?
2: Yeah, about 1.1 million total, Um, about 500,000 of those were people released in the same circumstances the Biden administration is doing today, which is migrants who were never sent to a detention center at all and were simply released with notices to appear in court. And the other 600,000 were people who cycled through an ICE detention center potentially for a day, two days, maybe up to a couple of weeks, and then were eventually released from uh, ICE detention and allowed to attend hearings outside of the detention setting.
1: Right. And this is based on government data, right?
2: Yeah. This is data from DHS's um, Office of Immigration Statistics now, Office of Homeland Security Statistics.
1: So why did the Trump administration release so many migrants into the interior? Why do all presidents release migrants?
2: I mean, the basic thing is resources. Uh, there are a limited number of detention beds, and you know Congress decades ago did, in fact, it's true, instruct the executive branch to detain every migrant crossing the border. But when they first did that in the 1990s and issued that instruction, there were at the time millions of people crossing on a annual basis, um, and uh, in similarly like, similar numbers they are today. Though most of them were not seeking asylum, and most uh, you know be, you wouldn't have to detain everyone, but Regardless, it is long accepted that no, Congress has never given presidential administration, Republican or Democrat, enough funding to detain every single migrant crossing the border. It's just not possible.
1: I mean, what are we even talking about in resources? It seems like it would be immensely expensive to do something like that. and And I don't think Congress could ever pass anything close to it, nor would the public be willing to spend that money, would it?
2: I mean so if we're talking money here right now in the fiscal year 2023 appropriations bill Congress appropriated 2.88 billion so 2.9 billion to detain an average of 34,000 people a day that and if if you're going to hold people for the entire length of their court process the detained court process usually takes anywhere from 1 to 2 months to um you know at the lowest level to upwards of 5 to 6 months or even longer so if you want to hold hundreds of thousands of people who are crossing the border while they go through a process, you're going to need detention capacity for hundreds of thousands of people. And so you're looking at tens of billions of dollars to potentially set up and create a larger prison system than even maybe the Federal Bureau of Prisons.
1: Yeah, I mean, clearly, that's just not something the public would tolerate. And so uh, administrate... And and,
2: and, and sorry, just to to add, you're not also just talking about, you know, if you're talking Bureau of Prisons, you're talking most today... Nearly all detention centers are uh, for a single adult. You know, the, the Biden administration ended family detention in 2021. A family detention, uh, when you're holding children, not only is there a settlement agreement that actually blocks detaining families for more than 20 days. So that in and of itself means you can't hold families, as Trump saw too, but also family detention is enormously expensive. It is about twice the you know, three times more expensive than detaining single adults because it's children. You need to have services. You need to have pediatricians on hand. You know, all these other things. Like detaining thousands of children is so you're you're talking about an additional tens of mil- like billions of dollars just for that, and the all the risks that come along with holding tens of thousands of children in detention, which would likely see, of course, some of them dying or awful things, suicides. You know, the American public would would take a look at that and go, is this who we are as a country? Not just the fiscal argument.
1: Right. And so to get back to the Senate talks over the the immigration bill compromise, Republicans are rejecting a deal that would... Beef up resources in a major way for border security and processing asylum seekers, including removing many from the country faster. They won't accept this deal because it would still allow some migrants to be the pro- processed into the country. They won't accept the deal that does what, some of what they want because it wouldn't force what all migrants to wait outside our borders, which 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 is which is an absurd goal anyway. W- either the migrants wait in the country or they wait in Mexico, which is. Very hard to make work in a humane way, or you detain them all, which isn't possible at all. So, is it seems to me that the fundamental Republican objection, at the most basic level, is to having migrants wait here, and that's the only thing that they won't tolerate.
2: Yeah, you saw this with Speaker Johnson's statements earlier today, that you, uh, or, or it may have been yesterday, that he he doesn't want a bill that allows even a single you know migrant into the country. And of course, I think it's very crucial to understand um, migrants aren't allowed into the country. And When they cross the border without permission, yes, they have violated the laws, but we have different other laws that then govern the deportation process. Because of course, the punishment for crossing the border in violation of immigration law is usually deportation. And so one of the things that is part of the deportation process is seeking asylum. And of course, not everybody is going to win asylum, but you still need to have a process to determine who can go through it. And unfortunately, we do seem to be reaching a point where there is, you know, one party is taking the position that we need to get rid of asylum entirely.
1: Right. And just to be super clear about this, Congress has commanded the executive to give asylum seekers a hearing, right?
2: Yes. Um, uh, There are exceptions. So, for example, individuals who have aggravated felonies um, are not eligible for asylum. Um, There are certain people who are only, you know, if you've previously been deported and then crossed the border, you're ineligible for asylum, but you're eligible for like more narrow, harder to win forms of protection. But at all times to comply with the law, the U.S. government cannot simply deny people a right to seek protection depending on what that kind of protection is. It, it is hard-coded into the law right now.
1: Right. And and so let's just talk about the the actual Republican position in these talks. By all indications, what's being discussed really would make the system function better. Perfectly? Not at all. But better? Yes. But to Republicans, it's simply not a solution if the fix allows many migrants to continue settling here successfully. I take from that that the idea that Republicans care primarily about border security is a
2: myth. Their
1: holy grail is letting in as few migrants as possible. Is that unreasonable of me?
2: Well, I would certainly quibble with saying it would make the system better. You know, again, it's important to understand all we have is leaks right now. We don't actually have the text right. of the bill, but um, we think that the compromise sort of goes too far in the harshness direction. This would be the harshest immigration law that Congress has passed in 27 years And, and would lead to essentially bringing the hammer down on a lot of people who are very vulnerable, who I I think the bill wouldn't provide enough protections for. But again, this is all based on the, based on what we know now. But, but certainly, you know, we are seeing one side, um, especially in the House say anything that is not no people allowed to seek asylum um, is verboten.
1: Right. I mean, to to, to bear down on the point you made in terms of the system, whether the Senate deal would make the system function better, it's important to underscore that part of the Senate deal would be the Biden administration's request for more resources to beef up the asylum system to to essentially process people faster and, and, and more effectively.
2: Yeah. And the resources could be enormously helpful. Right. So for for example, um, the resources include the supplemental request, which we understand the money might be even higher now, um, included a request for $771 million to hire uh, 1,600 new asylum officers, money for 375 new immigration judges. These are the people who can actually make the system function without them. You know, one of the reasons people even get released in the first place is because the US government cannot give them the expedited asylum screenings necessary to issue a deportation order quickly. Because there's only two ways to issue deportation orders, either in court in front of an immigration judge or through a process known as expedited removal, which has an asylum screening process built in. But if you can't do the asylum screening, then all you can do is send people to court where the backlogs are five or six years long. And so if you hire more asylum officers, then you actually can get that quick decision about whether or not someone even qualifies uh, at all out of the way early rather than sending them into the court backlog.
1: And and it's important to be fair to Republicans here in a way. The Senate Republicans who are negotiating this deal agree with us on that point. They agree that we should be investing resources in making the system more efficient and effective. Uh, It's the House Republicans and, and the MAGA types who are opposing that for, as you say, because it still allows people, it still allows migrants into the country in some sense. And that's the thing they oppose. And this, I think, is the through line to Mayorkas, right? They're impeaching the DHS secretary for what they call catch and release, the release of migrants into the interior, and because he won't restore Trump's remain in Mexico policy. These are policy differences, not high crimes and misdemeanors. Yet, here's to, this is the essence of it to me, Aaron. Republicans have elevated the act of releasing migrants into the interior, which the lo- the the kind of tissue of laws compels administrations to do, into a high crime against the country.
2: Yeah, and there's a lot of, you know, I'm not a constitutional scholar, so I can't opine on, you know, the, the constitutional basis for impeachment, but... If you look at the sort of factual assertions in there, you do get a lot of arguments that there is some sort of something dastardly about releasing migrants and failing to comply with these detention mandates. The detention mandate, I will note that none other than Samuel Alito said in a court decision 18 months ago um, that no one suggests DHS do the impossible and detain everybody. So when you have even Justice Alito saying, obviously DHS can't detain everybody, then you look at this impeachment and it says, we're going to impeach him for not detaining everybody. It raises a lot of questions. Um, and, and that's not even you know taking into account the fact that some of the things that they accuse him of doing in the impeachment are literally not things he did. Um, at one point, they uh, say that one of the things that he did to undermine border security was terminate certain agreements with Central American countries signed under the uh, Trump administration, he didn't do that. Secretary Blinken did. Yes. Uh, Secretary yes. Blinken did. But Aaron, so, so that's,
1: yeah. Aaron Mayorkas makes a better villain for them. You understand this? Who cares who did it?
2: Yeah, and I, I. This is the the trouble here is this is an enormously complicated issue. Like the 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 reality is is that immigration law. You have to study immigration law to really get a handle on why some things happen. And even people who study it for a long time sometimes have to throw up their hands and say, this is a system that makes no sense whatsoever. But there used to be a consensus in Washington that the system was complex. And unfortunately, you're seeing in the last couple of years a real shift towards actually the simple. The the situation is super easy. You can just solve this overnight. Any president can do it with enough willpower. And, And that's just not true.
1: Well, and also there's a fundamental disagreement about what constitutes solving the situation. That to me is really what's going on here. The con- it's 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 important what you said about the con- what the consensus used to be. I I think obviously there's always been a wing of the Republican Party that's nativist, right? Um, but it's true that there was something of a bipartisan consensus behind the idea that the efficient processing of asylum seekers and those seeking refuge in our country uh, was a desirable thing to achieve, and that now is not really a a point of consensus anymore, which is what I think it really means when you see a a handful of Senate Republicans pleading with the rest of the Republican Party to support something that would make the system much more efficient by the lights of Republicans themselves.
2: Yeah, and I sometimes go back to The Trump administration as well, or even the Obama administration, you see President Obama in 2014, when migrant families first started arriving at our border in large numbers, saying repeatedly, he went to Congress over and over and said, I want to change the immigration laws. And then when you get to the Trump administration, you can go back. He said over and over and over. He used to say it was one of his lines that we have the dumbest immigration laws in the in the world. But even then, he was acknowledging it was a law issue. It was not an executive branch policy issue. Now, I think he is wrong that we have to, you know, uh, about a lot of the things that he said about immigration laws, because he also wanted to stop anyone from seeking asylum. And his administration did a lot of things, many of which were struck down in court as illegal to, uh, to attain that goal. But at the very least, Throughout most of his term, he was acknowledging that part of the reason people got released was the laws, not because he was choosing to. And I have never once seen somebody say, did Donald Trump have a catch and release policy on purpose? Did President Trump deliberately release migrants? Or, you know, the kind of things that they say to President Biden, because at the time, everyone agreed Even when a president doesn't want to do this, it still happens because there are just core legal and resource issues involved.
1: Right. I mean, we're talking about a level of bad faith that's impossible to argue with. I want to bear down on one other aspect of this. To me, what's alarming about the elevation of the release of migrants into an impeachable high crime is that it dovetails with the GOP embrace of great replacement theory. Trump has been explicitly saying that migrants, quote, poison the blood of our country the great crisis to them, the great crime is the browning of America. Trump says this explicitly.
2: I mean, the irony, of course, with Great Replacement is that um, one of the largest uh, demographic groups that have been coming across the border in the last three years have been Venezuelan, Cuban, and Nicaraguan migrants, um, who come from specifically uh, left-wing countries, uh, where uh, most of the people who are showing up are people who have left to those countries because they didn't like how the government was going, So, um, and in the United States those groups traditionally vote Republican. So the idea that every migrant who crosses the border, whether from Honduras or El Salvador or Venezuela or Cuba or Nicaragua or Senegal or China, is all going to be like a, a stooge for the Biden administration is just ridiculous. Um, many of them if, if they ever managed to get citizenship would be GOP voters
1: you know th- that that actually gets at something else that that I I often kind of chuckle over which is one of the the hallmarks of right-wing populists um, one of the one of the things that right-wing populists and mega populists say constantly is that their pro-worker agenda is appealing to non-white working-class people and putting Democrats in a real in a real bind but then when we talk about whether um, to admit migrants and asylum seekers to the country, they immediately spin around and say, oh, you're just trying to create democratic voters. Well, by your ideology, these people are supposed
2: to be voting Republican, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a it's a very weird situation because, of course, the migrant to many people is not a person. They are an object of fear. Um, and you see this with, you know, histrionics about Chinese migrants coming to the border and people claiming it's like the People's Liberation Army here to set up fentanyl labs. Clay Higgins, um, rep- Representative Higgins, said in a hearing last year that Chinese spies were coming in via the border to set up fentanyl labs to kill Americans. And you, you look at that and you say, no, actually, right now, China has youth unemployment at 20%. The economy is slowing down dramatically. They've hit a population cliff. And a lot of people in that country are saying, I want to get out of Dodge and go to the richest, freest country in the world, United States. And we should be seeing that as a victory instead of panicking because a few thousand people like have people have for a century thought, wow, the United States is great. You know, If you look back at Ronald Reagan, that's exactly what Reagan was talking about when he said, you know, we're a beacon light of freedom. And of course, obviously, the Reagan administration's record on immigration is mixed. But, you know, that is a good, I think it was a good point, nonetheless. I, I
1: Yes, yes. And there will be people who object along the lines of a lot of punditry you read, which says, oh, well, there are plenty of Democrats who are too far to the left on this issue. They 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 oppose any kind of compromise that would that would try to in some sense restrict asylum seeking and so forth and and I want to I want to grant that okay i think that you can imagine a compromise um, on this issue right that probably the left would dislike but could be a reasonable compromise right it, it might trade a series of restrictions on asylum for something like legalizing the Dreamers and, and, un, and maybe other un, undocumented groups here, plus broadening legal pathways for people to apply from afar, which is distinct from seeking asylum at the border. That's a deal I think I could go for. I think your group has proposed various agendas for fixing the system. What's your vision of a workable compromise?
2: Yeah, we agree that there is going to have to eventually be some form of compromise. And that's, you know, that's why when we look at the Senate negotiations, we are in some ways happy that people are talking because the parties are going to have to come to some form of agreement. And while this exact deal seems to us, again, with the caveat that we haven't seen text yet, a little bit too much like a mishmash of various different policies thrown together with no coherent organizing principle. But there are certainly compromises that could be made. We agree that increasing screening standards may eventually um, be required, but we want to just ensure that people still have an opportunity to seek protection. And this bill, for example, uh, from the discussions would just deny some people that right whatsoever. But um, one thing that you mentioned, the alternate legal pathways, is a hugely important thing to emphasize here. We haven't updated our legal immigration system since 1990. Um, The last time Congress set the visa levels was November 1990. The first website went online in December 1990. So our legal immigration system was a pre-World Wide Web system. And so it's not a surprise that in the 21st century, 33 years later, it's not working. Um, We've got backlogs on backlogs on backlogs. And a lot of people have somewhat correctly perceived that the literally only way they will ever get a chance to come to the United States is to cross the border. Um, And that's not a hallmark of a well-designed system. And we really do need to think through these broader questions when we start tackling this. If we just focus on the border and we ignore all these other things, um, then we aren't going to have a coherent system. And that should be the ultimate goal.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And and by the way, we should acknowledge that a fair number of people on the left, and probably uh, a, a sizable chunk of congressional Democrats, would reject this kind of compromise or trade. Uh, that that and, and 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 I think that that probably is the only way forward. Unfortunately, but it's also important to emphasize that as long as Republicans won't accept any solution that still allows migrants to be released into the country in in sizable numbers sizable but manageable numbers, if Republicans won't accept that, we cannot make that trade. We cannot reach a compromise. So unfortunately, it looks to me like the only way we're ever going to get real reform, barring some sort of miraculous breakthrough where the Senate reaches a deal and then House Republicans somehow accept it, uh, if barring that, it looks like only unified Democratic control in the future can produce real reform. Is that, is that too pessimistic?
2: I I hope not. Um, You know, maybe the failure of this does lead to a period of of sort of rethinking the strategies here, but you know, I'm, I I try to keep some sense of optimism that we can break through to people, but certainly not in this Congress. Um, and, And I also think it's just so important to keep in mind that the United States can't, look at this issue through the lens of only the US-Mexico border, um, one in four people have left Venezuela in the last decade as that country has slowly collapsed. Um, 7.7 million Venezuelans have left. Most of them are still in South America. Uh, but this is a hemispheric wide issue. Um, and then you look at countries like Nicaragua, who we have sent, we have sanctioned their government for cracking down on political dissidents, rigging elections, you know, unlawful detentions, and people are leaving that country. But Nicaragua has also opened up its borders for visa-free travel from every country in Africa because they know that migrants are going to come to Nicaragua and they they can walk here. So as long as we just look at this as an issue of what can we do at the U.S.-Mexico border and ignore that a lot of this stuff happens, you know, people make the decision to migrate thousands of miles away and due to situations in other countries, we aren't going to solve this alone if all we do is say, how many more walls can we build? How many moats can we put up? Um, How many automated gun turrets, and God forbid we ever get that way, can we build? Because we have a 2000 mile land border and people have been crossing it for a century um, and every presidential administration for the last 50 plus years has tried to shut the border unsuccessfully. So we really do have to think bigger than we've had thought in the past.
1: Yes, and and I think the real civil war here is that there's just differences that appear unbridgeable about the most fundamental thing of all, which is whether immigration is a good thing. We think it is, they think it isn't. Aaron Reichlin Melnick, thanks so much for coming on.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: You've been listening to The Daily Blast with me, your host Greg Sargent. The Daily Blast is a New Republic podcast and is produced by Riley Fessler and the DSR Network.